One of the things I was really glad about ASCO when I got here, and one of the reasons I was interested in the job, is it was very clear to me from my interviews and talking to staff and the board that it was a place that realized you couldn't just keep doing the same thing that we've always done. And the fact that membership had gone down quite a few years in a row before that had helped convince a lot of people that the status quo wasn't going to cut it. So when I first came on as the executive officer, I was already told we want a new strategic plan. The old one is outdated. It was from 2017. It was a fine plan at the time, but, you know, a lot has changed since then. And they were already, as a whole organization, board, staff, etc. I didn't have to convince anyone that we need to do things differently or do things in a new way. This is Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association executives tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing membership, generating revenue, nurturing engagement, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive into this week's show. Today, I'm speaking with Dave Jackson, Executive Officer at the American Society for Pharmacology and Experimental Therapeutics, or ASPIT. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joanna. Happy to be here. And can I just say, I've always been so jealous of your job title. I think that's one of the best job titles I've ever heard. (laughs) Well, Dave, as the top person at ASPIT, I bet you could give yourself a great title. (laughs) I'll talk to my board, but I'll try. You can always have a pseudonym, if you will. There we go. I'll give that a shot. So, Dave, my VP of engineering is also, on his business card, no kidding, the Shogun of Lunch. Wow. (laughs) It's giving me a lot of creative ideas now to think about. This is really inspiring me. Hey, Dave, tell us about ASPET. Sure. So, ASPET is, first and foremost, we consider ourselves the home of pharmacology. We're the scientific professional society for anyone in the science of how drugs act on biological systems and how the body responds to the drug. So we are a 4,000-member society. We've been around since 1908, so quite a while. We have a variety of programs. You'll see lots of scientific societies. We have an annual meeting. We have journals. We have a member magazine. We have plenty of programs on advocacy and mentoring, really just trying to make sure that if you're involved in pharmacology, regardless of your work setting, there's something for you to do. We have a staff of about 19 right now, and we're around $5 million budget. Dave, tell us about your membership. Where are they located? Where do they work? Most of our members are based in the United States, though we do have members from all around the world. In terms of work sending, many are in academia. About 60 to 70% work at universities or research institutions. That could be professors. It could be research assistants, that could be postdocs, grad students, the whole gamut. But we also have people in government. We have people in big pharma and pharma startups. We have people really in all types of fields of work settings. If there's a need to understand how drugs work, 
and how the body reacts to them, you'll find someone in pharmacology there who is in our membership. So Dave, if I'm a researcher at Johns Hopkins versus a researcher working for Big Pharma, for example, do you make a distinction or are they all just regular members? Those would all be regular members. We do though, because sometimes people work for companies where pharmacology is important, but maybe you don't have that the PhD or the educational background, we do have other membership types for those who are interested in being part of the pharmacology field, even if it's not where you received your education. Super exciting. So your your members are the folks who are basically looking for the cure for cancer, the cure for COVID. Right. Yeah. We have a whole division within ASPET that's focused solely on drug discovery. That's the, the name of the division. And lots of our members, if they're part of the division or not, that is a big part of what some of them do is just trying to find those opportunities, those drug targets or finding that new chemical and seeing what properties it has that may lead down the road to something that can cure some disease that we're trying to fight right now. Dave, we're going to talk about the things that are helping Aspid to thrive, but let's talk about your journey first. So I actually met you many years ago when you were working at the American Counseling Association and you were COO and now you're the executive officer. Tell us about the journey. So when I first started my career, I was an accountant. I was a CPA. I was in a CPA firm, and I was down the finance path. When I was in that world, I, one, got to experience lots of different clients, including them were nonprofits. So my clients were nonprofits, and that's how I started getting interested in the nonprofit association space is I just found it so much more interesting than the other clients I had. Ah. And the fact that they were mission-based and mission-focused inspired me. So I knew once I got out of the auditing field, that's where I wanted to go next. I also realized pretty quickly, I didn't want to just stay in accounting. As much as that background and knowledge is helpful, I realized pretty quickly I was generally more interested on the operational side and getting involved in all the different aspects of association or a company. That's when I got my MBA from Duke because I knew I wanted to make that transition, that pivot. After I left that part, I had a number of financial roles in different nonprofits. But then as I was doing that, I was more and more interested in the operational side. I kept wanting to get involved in more beyond just the finances. And then over time, the last couple of jobs I had, including at the American Counseling Association, I was lucky enough to have supervisors and CEOs who were willing to give me those responsibilities and opportunities that maybe you wouldn't necessarily think to give the finance guy. And it really just gave me a chance to experience those things that I really enjoyed. I really like being part of all the different programs and having that more direct impact on members and customers. And that's why I got my CAE is to really make sure I could be ready and able to make that leap to where I am now as an executive officer. So Dave, this is your first CEO role. Right. And you started an aspect during the pandemic, in fact, at the height of Omicron about a year ago, right? So what's your first year been like? I guess the first word jumps out at me is weird. It started out weird. <laughs> when I started in February 1st of 2022, that was peak Omicron for COVID-19. Ah, right. Yeah. So when I accepted the job, I had not yet met anyone in person at Aspect. Everything, all the interviews, everything was done virtually over Zoom. So, you know, I definitely had that little anxiousness of, okay, I know what they're like virtually. What is this organization going to be like in person? And because I started in February 1st, that whole first month, the office still was working full-time remote. So my first month as a CEO, 
was spent virtually. And it was really interesting to start that way because my first day, I remember thinking, okay, it's a new job, it's a new place, it's a whole new thing. Get excited about it. You have nowhere to go to. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I just turned my laptop on and now I'm technically at this new place. Right. It took me a while to realize, okay, I'm going to need to go out of my way to make sure I get up to speed and just start to develop relationships, understand my role, figure out how things work here. Because I, you know, I, I know we all experience this in some level, but every other job I'd ever started, I'd always have the benefit of being around people by being in the office. And you pick things up, you have conversations you didn't mean to have, but are super helpful to build relationships or understand why things happen. And I just realized I had to be so much more intentional in finding those conversations and having them in order to just get to know my staff, get to know my board, get to know pharmacology and the members of ASPET. It just, it took a lot longer probably than I would have expected just to feel like I was understanding things and becoming a part of what the society was doing. Right. Because everything has to be scheduled. Exactly. I mean, I think most CEOs I've listened to do this. They do that listening tour where they, you know, they make sure they reach out and sit down with everyone learning about what they do and trying to develop relationships with them. But yeah, if I didn't schedule that meeting, it just felt like it wasn't going to happen. Right. If I wasn't going to go out of the way to schedule it, I could have just sat here and have feeling like I wasn't doing anything. Wow. So how's it going now? Are you all still remote? About a month in, yeah, I guess that would be in March, we went back to being in the office altogether, all the staff, once a week. And the idea was, while we were being plenty efficient remotely, the society experienced a lot of turnover. They'd lost quite a few staff before I showed up. And I was new. I was new. So I didn't have those relationships. I still needed to learn a lot. So we decided to come in once a week and put it all together. I know some of the issues with a hybrid work environment is different people are experiencing different ways and having different conversations. And it's not the same work experience. So we decided on the days we're going to go in there, we're all going to be in there. So we can have those conversations. So we can have those meetings, have those touch points. So we've been doing that ever since. Ah. Actually, that's probably the question I got the most when I met with all my staff for the first time. Probably every single person said, are we going back to the office or not? Ah, right. They were all so curious about that. And at the time I said, I don't know what exactly what's going to look like, but I foresaw us being in a hybrid workplace long-term. And that's what we are today. We still go back to the office. Everyone comes in on Wednesdays. That's meeting day in terms of wanting to have those face-to-face in-person discussions. But then the rest of the week, People work where they want to work, and most of it tends to be remotely. That sounds like a really smart idea, because if you have a situation where people can choose the day of the week that they work, they might still be really interacting virtually with their coworkers. Right. So you didn't really get the benefits of being together, but by telling everyone to be together on a specific day, now you get to be together. Very smart strategy. Yeah, it's worked out well, I think. It makes sure everyone has the same experience on any given day as helped just make sure we're all seeing things the same way and having the same opportunities to get to know each other. Yeah. So Dave, how is ASPED? How's membership? I'm glad to say it's been going up the last two years. That was not the case only about five years ago. I know we were on a downward trend at ASPED. Thankfully, right before I showed up, they had stabilized. And then this year, we are still seeing a slight increase in membership. So we're heading in the right direction. Well, congratulations. Thank you. I'm not sure how much I get to take credit for it, but I'm glad it's happening. Well, so you don't stop the bleeding and then start hopefully an upward trend by doing the same things over and over again. So what are you doing differently? One of the things I was really glad 
about Aspit when I got here. And one of the reasons I was interested in the job is it was very clear to me from my interviews and talking to staff and the board that it was a place that realized you couldn't just keep doing the same thing that we've always done. And the fact that membership had gone down quite a few years in a row before that had helped convince a lot of people that the status quo wasn't going to cut it. So when I first came on as the executive officer, I was already told we want a new strategic plan. The old one is outdated. It was from 2017. It was a fine plan at the time, but you know, a lot has changed since then. And they were already, as a whole organization, board, staff, et cetera, I didn't have to convince anyone that we need to do things differently or do things in a new way. Nice. That was pretty much already in place, which has been really helpful for me and I feel very lucky about. The question, though, has been, okay, what are we going to do differently? What are those new programs? What are those different ways of doing things? And that's what we've spent a lot of my first year at Aspect focusing on is creating a new strategic plan that we are thankfully just a few weeks away from, I think, approving and then being able to start really implementing some big changes. One big change ahead of us is in May, we will have our first standalone annual meeting in decades. Oh, wait. So you didn't used to have a standalone annual meeting? Not since, I will say, the 1990s. Ah. So we've been doing a joint annual meeting with four, at least four other scientific societies since 1993. So this year will be the first time since at least then that we will have our own ASPET-focused, pharmacology-focused annual meeting. And why is this good? Of course, it's a little overwhelming for staff, but it's a really great opportunity for a couple reasons. While there were plenty of reasons we had that joint meeting, and it was something that many of our members enjoyed, there were limitations. You know, doing it jointly with others, it means you can't really do everything you want to. You don't have that flexibility to decide you want to do things in different ways and make dramatic changes to your program because you have to have consensus on what everyone else is going to do together. So we're excited for the options to do things a little differently. We're also excited by the chance to focus on our people. Ah. We were a joint meeting with foreign societies that probably had around nine, ten thousand 10,000 attendees. We were about a 1,000 of those attendees. So we were a, a relatively small focus of the meeting as a whole. And this one coming up in May will be all about our members. It'll be all about pharmacology. So it's not just another topic that may be overshadowed by other things going on in a meeting. It'll be all about our people and all about our society. Wow. So big change. Yes. You're also doing a whole lot more with advocacy now. So tell us about that. And that's a change. That's one of the things I'm really excited about from the strategic plan we plan to approve pretty soon is one of the big focus areas I expect to come out of there is an aspect that's a lot more proactive in being the leading voice for the field. I think historically, my understanding has been that we've been a little more reactive and a little more passive that if we existed and we were here for pharmacology, that others outside of our world would come to us. And it's been pretty clear that that doesn't necessarily work in the world we live in. We have to go out there and identify those who should know about pharmacology, who should look to ASFIT and our members as a definitive resource for what's going on when it comes to the science and research of drugs and potential drug targets. So one of the things we'll be focusing on is really building out our government affairs and science policy area. We are adding staff in that area. We are looking to make much more direct connections and be much more of a valued resource. For for example, NIH is a governmental body that we work with a lot and our members work with a lot. 
we want to make sure we make those connections with them proactively versus just expecting and hoping they'll come to us. So Dave, you hear about the big trade associations in pharma, and they clearly do a lot of lobbying and advocating. How are your efforts in that area different from, say, big pharma? And there are massive organizations that represent pharma. Sure. And there's certainly overlap between our interests and theirs. But in terms of differentiator, we are focused primarily on making sure that the funding is available from the NIHs, the NSFs, other government bodies, other funding resources, to really make sure that we have the ability to do that basic research, that foundational research that maybe down the road can translate into really making drugs or therapies that will make a huge difference in people's lives. But a lot of that starts with years before doing research on just like a little molecule or a little part of some drug that has never been tried out in a certain way. And a lot of it's experimental and really you don't quite know when you start some of our basic research of where it's going to lead and what the end goal is. And at the end of the day, that's what you hope it becomes, but it has to start with that basic research. And that's a big area we focus on and making sure that it's funded and supported the way it needs to be in order to find those opportunities that down the road, big pharma or pharmaceutical companies can really turn into those drugs that you and I will purchase at the the pharmacy. Uh, Dave, is that why so many of your members are in academic institutions? Because they're more focused on the basic research that then could turn into like you said, more of the commercial applications? That explains a lot of it. That's definitely one of the reasons that's where a majority of our membership is. With that said, we don't just focus on that. We focus on the whole spectrum of pharmacology, from basic to translational to clinical. We want to be a home for all of that. So while that may be what many in academia are focusing on, we recognize that all of pharmacology has value, and we want to make sure we have opportunities and benefits for anyone in this field. Hey, Dave, when I was visiting your website, I noticed that you have five journals and a magazine. That's a lot. And so how important are the journals and like, what's the strategy behind them? Yeah, they're hugely important to ASPED. Financially, they are more than the majority of our revenues. So from a financial perspective, they're a really big deal to what we do. And also from an identity perspective, a lot of our members and those in pharmacology relate our journals and their experiences with them to their experience with ASPED. They were very interconnected. And it's actually a big source where we got a lot of our members and volunteers even is they Ah. work with these journals and then they may work with the society in different ways down the road. We put a lot of focus and resources into journals. And that is one area I've been thinking about a lot. And I know I'll be thinking about in the future because there's lots of changes in that industry right now of how academic journals function, work, and importantly for us from a financial perspective, how they can make money. So I've read about the open access movement, but maybe you can talk to us about what that is and why why is that affecting you? Sure. And this became a much more acute issue for us in, I think, August, when the OSTP office of the White House put out a memo essentially laying out when they will expect research that is funded by the federal government to essentially be mandated to be publicly accessible. And I think I want to say early 2026 is, I think, the deadline. And essentially what that means is our current model financially is we mostly make our money from subscriptions and licenses. So, you know, you have to pay to access much, though not all of our content. And as of 2026, 
while we're still waiting to see how it'll be implemented, our sense is all that research is going to need to be publicly accessible immediately. Wow. Which, you know, is a big threat to that business model. So that's that's a big deal to Aspet in our future. Big deal to all of the scientific associations that rely on journals for revenue, for thought leadership, for identity. Yes. So that means we're spending a lot of time right now at Aspet and we'll be in the months and years ahead of thinking about what that new model means for how we operate and how we focus on providing value through our journals. Dave, who's involved in that planning? Oh, anyone and everyone at Aspet. We have we have consultants helping us. We have the staff focused on it, our board, which we call a council, our journal editors, you name it. It's something that touches almost everyone at Aspet, and that will be a big effort for years to come. Wow. I hope you'll come back and talk to us about what you're learning and what you're deciding to do. Yeah. I'd also be curious to see how everyone else is handling because a lot of us <laughs> are in the same boat of trying to navigate this new world for publishing. Yeah. This is like earth shatteringly important. Oh, yes. Oh, I remember the number of emails I shared with other people when they came out going, did you see this? Oh my gosh, did you see this? Yeah. I remember when I saw it and I thought, oh my God, massive sea change for my clients. Yes. It's a big deal. We have a couple of years technically to adjust, but we know we need to get start getting ready now. Hey, Dave, before we go, how's it different being COO versus being the top person, the CEO or the executive officer? I bet you're thinking about things differently and focused on different things. What's that like for someone who's thinking about making that change? It's undeniably different than those other roles, a CFO, COO role, and what I'm spending my day-to-day on or doing or even thinking about. And I knew going into the role that it would be different. I've been fortunate enough to get to observe other CEOs I've worked for, what their day-to-day was like. So I had a sense, but it's been a bigger shift than I imagined. And the things I spend most of my days and time focused on now as an EO are really the, the governance side of things, the volunteer leadership, even the member experience. Those are all things I had to deal with in the past, but it's so much of my time now is thinking about, okay, if there's a problem or a project or a decision, who needs to be part of that? What is the board's role? What is my role? What is the staff role? What does the membership need to know about this? Thinking about all those I guess, stakeholders Mm. and making that really a focus of what I'm thinking about, evaluating things from that angle has become a much bigger part of my day-to-day than I really expected, even though I knew it it would be increased. Wow. Well, I can't wait to talk to you in the future about your continuing journey as the top person, as the EO or the CEO of Aspet. So Dave, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you'll come back. Great. Thank you so much, Joanna. Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I want to hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. Please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye.